Welcome to Let's Talk SciComm, a podcast by the University of Melbourne Science Communication Teaching Team. I'm Dr. Jen Martin and my co-host is Dr. Michael Wheeler and we believe science isn't finished until it's communicated. Welcome to Let's Talk SciComm, a podcast from the science communication teaching team at the University of Melbourne here in Australia. I'm Jen and I'm very happy to be joined as always by my wonderful co-host Michael. Hi Michael, how are you? I'm very good Jen, very good but the pressure is on today. We're doing a podcast all about how not to be boring so yeah, I love better. how we. I love how we tried to come up with much fancier names for what this podcast would be about. We've just ended up with such a uh, straightforward title: "How Not to Be Boring." So, yeah, what are we going to do if we end up being boring, Michael? Terrible. Yeah, we'll have to start again, <laughs> <laughs> or else just uh, come up with some uh, jokes. We'll just go straight into the jokes. Well, you know, you're in charge of the dad jokes, Michael. That's that's <laughs> absolutely your domain. Professor of dad jokes. That's right. <laughs> All the way. So tell me, what, what are we thinking about when we say how not to be boring? What does that, what does that mean in the world of science communication? Yeah, I mean, it's, I think it's such an important consideration when doing science communication. If we can all, you know, put ourselves in the shoes of a time where we were uh, incredibly bored from a piece of communication, I think a lot of people can relate to that. You know, imagine just being at a conference, you've got, you're listening to a half an hour talk and you know five minutes in you're already thinking about that experiment that you need to do or in my case it's usually what's you know for lunch <laughs> <laughs> yes I can relate so I think as communicators we want to be aware of what do we need to do to ensure that we're not boring our audiences <laughs> um, essentially and I think um, to put that in context I think it's especially important today because, you know, we exist in an environment where there's a lot of distractions, um, you know, due to technology. There's something called the attention economy, which is essentially where uh, a lot of um, technological applications are vying for our attention. We got to push notifications and things like that. So, you know, I think we're easily distracted and there's a good quote that actually kind of summarizes that. It was back in 2001, and you don't really get quotes like this um, anymore because we're so used to the, you know, the type of technology now that distracts us. So you, you wouldn't really hear a quote like this. But back in 2001, a lot of this stuff was relatively new. Uh, and this guy, Mark Prensky, came up with this idea of digital natives. Uh, so that refers to the generation of um, kids coming through who are growing up used to all this technology and basically saying it was, you know, arguing it was going to be a huge problem for education because they're just going to find traditional education just completely boring <laughs> compared to all of the exciting stuff they're used to. So, you know, it's a quote in the context of education, but I think it's, uh, you know, it's relevant to what we're talking about today. So, uh, so Mark said, digital natives accustomed to the twitch speed, multitasking, random access, graphics first, active, connected, fun, fantasy, quick payoff world of their video games, MTV and internet are bored by most of today's education. 
<laughs> and that was 20 years ago. Whew. Yeah, I know, I know. So it's um it's it's vitally important to try and be uh not boring and engage our audience if we want to get our message across. And I suppose, you know, one experiment that we could do to prove how important this is, Jen, and I might ask you and also the listeners who are listening at home, if you can remember the content of a piece of boring communication. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that kind of the answer to that, that by definition I can't remember it because it was too boring and I just tuned out and thought about other things? Exactly. That is the right answer that I'm looking for. <laughs> Excellent. I get a gold star for that one. But, I mean, I think, you know, it is the stereotypical image of a scientist though, isn't it? You think about any kind of negative stereotype about a scientist as a communicator because, let's face it, so many scientists are brilliant communicators. I know so many scientists who do an absolutely amazing job of communicating about their work, but that's not the stereotype. The stereotype is the person in the white coat droning on using lots of jargon and completely boring and of course you know we can all think about a conference we've been to where there was someone maybe they didn't wear the white coat but they were incredibly boring and you didn't actually understand what they were talking about and of course you remember mm -hmm. nothing <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah yeah absolutely yeah and look it's I think it's um you know an important question that we can ponder and maybe debate is that what makes communication boring you know is it related to the style in which it's communicated, or is it related to the planning and structure of that communication? And I would argue that often the, the planning and structure of your communication is often overlooked. Yeah, I think it's I think it's both. I mean, I guess for me, a lot of it comes down to as the person who has the, the privileged position of being the communicator. So whether we're thinking about you getting up and giving a talk or whether you're, um, you know, you're writing something, you're in this very privileged position that you're demanding an audience's attention, or at least you're hoping to get that audience's attention. And so, yes, absolutely, some of it comes down to the planning and the structure, but it just also comes down to why you're doing it. What's the purpose? What are you hoping to achieve? And is the content that you're sharing actually relevant to this audience? Because I do wonder if no matter how engaging a speaker you are, for example, if what you want to talk about is of absolutely no interest or relevance to your audience, maybe you're going to be boring anyway. What do you think? Yeah, you definitely need to ask yourself those questions, don't you? What am I trying to achieve? Who am I communicating to? And this is the biggest take-home message from you know everything we teach, which is to tailor your communication to suit your audience. So if you only take away one thing from this, that's the that's the main message. Um, yeah, and I mean you need to consider those if you're going to get your message across, and you need to be clear on what that message is. And I think you know one of the maxims that we always hear, you know, anyone who's done any form of science communication training, you know, it's it's there's nothing new in saying know your audience. We've all heard that. It makes inherent sense to us that you need to find a way to communicate that's going to going to resonate with your audience. But I think for me, I take that a step further, and it's not just about knowing your audience; it's about respecting your audience because I think certainly so much of the communication that I did in the early days I was just focused on mm -hmm. me <laughs> you know I mean yes I'd thought about the audience in some 
vague subconscious way perhaps that yes I knew my audience were scientists in my field so it was going to be okay for me to use some technical language or I knew my my audience were primary school kids so I thought about well how can I make sure that I make it fun for them but really now these days I think so much more about how do you respect an audience an audience who is attention poor and time poor if I'm going to expect them to focus on me, then I'm going to have to deliver something to them ideally that that they need or that at least feels of relevance to them. And I think that can be really hard yeah. to do. But I think yeah. I think this idea of purpose, I think this idea of what's your why, why are you doing this communication? It's very easy to gloss over and kind of think, well, because I have to, you know, I've got to give this this conference talk or I have to submit this piece of writing. But a technique that that I use quite a lot, which is really useful, is the five whys. So, Michael, I want you to think about a piece of communication you're working on at the moment. I know you had to give a talk. You've got a conference talk coming up. So if I say to you, Michael, why are you giving this conference talk? I want to get the message out about the important topic of my talk. (laughs) And, And why do you want to get the message out about the important topic? Um, I suppose I'm speaking about association between uh, eating disorders and the increase in fracture risk. So why do you want more people to understand about the risk of fracture and the link with eating disorders? Um, because I suppose it, it can potentially lead to, you know, interventions that might have a, a beneficial effect um, on fracture risk, um, the opportunity to educate and you know learn what's what's behind the you know increases in fracture risk and why do you want to educate people about the the risk of fracture uh so we can potentially reduce people's risk of getting a fracture so you get my idea right and to all our listeners i totally just put michael on the spot there he had no idea that i was going to do that but can you see how it's useful to just go keep asking yourself why because eventually you usually get down to something that's really important to you and something that really kind of speaks to your values. And for most scientists, eventually the why is because I want to make a difference, because I want to help people make evidence-based decisions, because I want to help people be more informed about things that affect them. And if you go through all the whys, you get from the fairly superficial why of just I want to give a good conference talk or I want to get funding or I want to potentially find a a thesis, uh, sorry, a PhD supervisor or I want to find a new collaborator or I want to be more visible you know there's all these fairly superficial whys which are all valid and and good whys but eventually if you go through all the layers most of us just want to do good in the world Mm. and I think being clear on all the levels of purpose can be so helpful for not being boring because then you start to tap into real passion and and real kind of you know authentic um um I don't want to use the word passion again, but you know what I mean? You're really authentic about wanting to do this piece of communication and audiences can can tell that from a mile off, I think. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and it's it's I suppose you you get down to the the important uh, context behind um, you know, what you're trying to communicate and the you know, you if you're able to give the audience a sense of where you're coming from, what your motivations are in terms of, you know, what's the bigger picture here, taking a step back from the, the details of your science. Yeah, and I think that's really useful because 
I mean, in some situations, your communication, it's going to be predetermined who your audience is, right? You know, I'm going to a conference to give a talk, or I've been invited on a particular radio show to talk about my work. So sometimes the audience is sort of set. But other times, we need to, to, uh, you know, find our audiences. So once we're clear on our purpose, then we can say, okay, well, if that's, if this is what I'm trying to achieve, who is the audience that I need to communicate with? And I need to find a way of, of connecting with that audience. And so how you're not boring is to, you know, it's highly likely that you're going to have identified an audience who's really interested and has some, you know, has some skin in the game, has some investment in what you're talking about, or they, they probably wouldn't be your target audience. And then I think it becomes much easier to not be boring because you're talking about something that is that is relevant to people. And mm. so the next step then, isn't it, is once you're clear on what you're trying to achieve and who the best audience is to help you achieve that, the next step is kind of the, the challenging bit, but also the fun bit. And you mentioned this earlier with structure. It's how do we actually tailor a message that is going to work for that audience? Because I think so many of us have spent so much of our time as scientists thinking about the message that we want to share. This is my story. I'm going to tell you about my research. But I think often we have to realise that the way we share our work is not so much the way we want to tell it, it's the way that our audience is going to take it on board. And they, they can be quite different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you really need to be able to put yourself in the in the shoes of the audience. And I suppose it's, as you to just to pick up on something you said there, you want to make the content of what you're talking about relevant to the audience. And I think the the more relevant you can make it to their lives, the the uh, the more engaging it will be for them, you know? So s- perhaps sprinkling your communication with some examples that they'll, they'll be familiar with, making it personally relevant to them as well uh, can can be really useful. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, that leads to one of the things that you and I teach and our whole team teaches a lot about. And that that's this idea of a hook. You know, the analogy is that if you're out there with a fishing line with nothing on the end of it, the fish aren't going to come and check out your line. They're just going to swim straight past. But the minute you put a hook on the end of your line and put some exciting bait on the end of that hook, ideally, the fish are all going to swarm around you. And that's what we're always trying to do with our audiences. So, we, we talk a lot about hooks, don't we? What's the very first thing that you are going to say? Mm. Well, the very first thing you're going to write or the very first image you're going to show, which ideally will immediately captivate your audience's attention. It will take them away from anything else going on in their heads, the temptation of the phone in their pocket, the notifications, the, the daydreaming, whatever it is, and immediately grab them to think, ah, oh, this is interesting. Mm-hmm. This, this is going to be worth my time and attention and a good hook a good hook can be hard I reckon it can be hard I mean it's not necessarily the natural thing to do to put a, a hook in at this let's say the start of a you know a presentation that you might be giving because I suppose you do need to be a little bit creative in designing a hook you know I think a lot of people will be familiar with that classic start to the presentation where the person stands up and says, hi, my name is blah, blah, blah. I'm here today to talk to you about blah, blah, blah. That's a missed opportunity, I guess, for not saying that and replacing it with something that's going to be immediately engaging. Uh, absolutely, Michael. And the thing that drives me wild is particularly at conferences where 
the chairperson of the session has just said, hi, you know, welcome to the session. Today we're joined by Jen Martin from the University of Melbourne and she's going to talk about effective science communication. And then in the worst case scenario, I have a slide behind me that says Jen Martin, University of Melbourne and the title of my talk. And then I go right ahead and get up and say for the very first <laughs> sentence, hi, I'm Jen Martin from the University of Melbourne and today I'd like to talk to you about effective science communication. And it sounds ridiculous when you put it like that. Yeah. But we see, we see scientists do it all the time. So yeah. what's happened there? Well, the same information has been given three times. And by then, you know, you've automatically lost the attention of your audience. Mm -hmm. Whereas if I get up and immediately start with something fascinating and interesting, and I see, you know, I see um, speakers who work in medical fields do it all the time, this really immediately engaging, you know, the hook being something like, okay, I want you to look on either side of you. Of the three of you, one of you is going to be dead by disease X by the age Y or whatever it is. And everyone's like, oh, my goodness, yeah. is it going to be? Is it going to be me? Is it going to be you? And yeah. everyone wants to know, well, hang on, what is this disease and how can I make sure it's not me who dies from it? You know, it just works a treat. <laughs> oh, absolutely. We had a lecturer uh, in undergrad who did that with uh, heart disease. And, yeah, it's uh, it's quite powerful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, it, I, I think depending on what your topic is and, you know, who your audience is, you'll have a kind of a range of opportunities to do creative hooks. I remember being at the three minute thesis competition before and watching some of the other presentations. And one person was presenting about rocket science or something, but they started <laughs> their presentation outside of the room where everyone was gathered to watch the presentations. And they started by, you know, dramatically opening the door and running onto the stage as a, a rocket. So, you know, they had their hands above their head in a triangle. <laughs> they ran onto the stage making the noise. <laughs> you know, everyone looks up. What is this talk going to be about? <laughs> oh, that's such a good hook. I love it. Yeah. It's brilliant. I thought the hook was going to be something like, you know, it's way more complicated than rocket science or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, look, it's. It, I suppose it takes a bit of bravery to do that. And you don't always have kind of, you know, the, the opportunity to do it, to do a hook like that. But I tell you what, I, I still remember it, you know, and I talk about it and it's the, it's the example I always give to students. So. <laughs> yeah. Oh, look, absolutely. I did a really fun activity in a workshop a couple of weeks ago that I just, I just Googled best science Ted talks and, you know, love them or hate them. We all, you know, some people hate Ted talks, but we have to all admit that, TED Talks are, you know, designed to be an engaging way of speaking. And so I just found five or six TED Talks about science that had lots and lots of views. And we just watched the first sort of 20 seconds of each one and then analysed what has this person done for a hook uh, and how effective is it? And we came up with mm. some really good ideas. You know, analogies, little personal anecdotes can be really powerful if you understand why someone really cares about it. I yep. think rhetorical questions can work well. Putting up a really striking image can work well. And, you know, some yep. people manage to pull off jokes and, and puns. I reckon you could do that. You're a much better joke teller than I am, Michael. I think I'd be too scared to tell a joke <laughs> because you just fall flat. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, there's the, we've all seen good hooks, haven't we? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, even at scientific conferences, I've been to scientific conferences where the speakers, you know, um, include a little joke if they're comfortable, um, but also, you know, making a, a startling assertion, you know, at the start of your talk. I mean, if your research relates to anything related to a disease, for example, you really want to give the audience a, a sense of the burden of that disease. 
Yeah. And there's certainly a lot of opportunity there to kind of make a, a startling assertion. So, yeah, it's there's a, a lot of different ways you can do it. Um, and, you know, you can be creative with with the hooks that you come up with. And, you know, I think the the, the best kind of advice is to practice, you know, try out a couple of these different techniques yeah. and see what other people think. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you've made another really good point there, Michael, thinking about, you know, you said make sure everyone understands the burden of a particular disease. And I guess we should point out, you know, we teach scientists across all disciplines, so not particularly medical scientists. We work with, yes, the epidemiologists and the biochemists, but also the geologists and the and the uh, particle physicists and the mathematicians. So we work across all fields and we've seen all sorts of hooks. But I think the thing to always remember is that you as a scientist, you are so deeply invested in your work and you know it inside out and your hook has to be something that invites other people in to realise why this work is important, why is this worth doing. So, you know, your actual hook might be fairly detailed but then you've immediately got to give people context so they understand. If you're talking about a particular you know, very small aspect of, a, of your field of work, tell people why they should care. Because I think this whole idea of how to not be boring, you're going to be boring if people get to the end of your talk or your piece of writing mm-hmm. and kind of go, well, so what? I, I, I don't see. I don't see why that matters to anybody. Yeah. So we have to get better at explaining to people the value of what we're doing. And I think we're never really taught to do that. You know, we're never really taught to say, well, actually... I really believe in the value of what I'm doing. I think this work is really important and I'm going to explain to you why. And, you know, you'd never say it quite like that. It feels very uncomfortable, but mm-hmm. we have to give context. What's the problem here? If you want your audience to care, you need to establish for them. What's this problem that mm-hmm. you're trying to solve and why does it matter? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so, you know, a good rule of thumb is to you know, start off with the wider context, then come down to some Uh, details about the topic that you're discussing but then to return to the wider context again at the end um, as a way as you say to have a a kind of a a strong ending Um, and I think you know in that opening context it can be good to you know use a hook but also if your topic and I I suppose in a way science exists to solve problems so I think no matter what your discipline is, there's often going to be an opportunity to discuss, um, you know, your area of science in terms of the problems that it it might be trying to solve, you know, whether that's something practical or whether it's addressing a gap in knowledge. And if you can identify problems or gaps in knowledge in your opening context, you can repeat them towards the end when you return to the wider context. And I think that repetition is really powerful because what you're doing is you're familiarizing the audience with some of these problems in the opening. They're already familiar with it. So when you return to it again at the end, in a way that explicitly links the the details of your topic to those problems, um, then it can be really powerful. And an analogy I like to always give is, you know, if, if there's anyone out there who likes stand-up comedy, if you uh, ever notice uh, when a comedian is doing a set, often they'll tell a joke at the beginning, but then they'll tell the same joke later on, later in the set, and it's mm. extra hilarious the second time. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and there's probably some powerful psychology going on there that I don't know about, but you know, I think what they're doing is they're familiarizing the audience with something. So now 
the comedian has a shared connection with the audience. And then when they return to that same joke, it's extra hilarious. But I think as scientists, we can tap into the same psychology. And when we return to our problems at the end, they will have, you know, extra value and relevance in the mind of the audience. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think, you know, this is something we'll we'll do a whole separate episode of. We don't really have time to talk about narrative structure now, but what you're talking about there is definitely this idea of narrative. And we all know how satisfying it is when someone kind of comes full circle with their narrative. They establish the problem at the start. They talk through a whole lot of information that we need to know in order to understand the problem better. And then they return at the end. And often that looks like returning to your hook. Mm. You know, that, that means coming back to that hook that you used at the start and as you say it just has so much more weight uh when you when you return to it mm. so yeah i think that's super important and we'll we'll do another episode well we'll probably do lots of episodes on narrative but yeah just before we run out of time michael it occurs to me that just one fairly straightforward point that we should make when it comes to how not to be boring is just to say, of course, you've got to think about the language that you use. And, you know, jargon has such a bad name. People are always, you know, saying you can't use jargon, you can't use jargon. I disagree. I think jargon is only jargon when you're using the the wrong language for the wrong audience. You know, technical language can be absolutely fine if you're talking to an audience who knows that technical language. It's just that you don't want to alienate people by using language that they're not familiar with. So it comes back to know who your audience is, respect your audience, and then use language that's going to be inclusive for that audience. Because as soon as we use words that people don't understand, of course you're boring. I mean, gosh, I've listened to a lot of talks in my time where I wasn't clearly meant to be part of the audience or the speaker hadn't thought about who the audience was. And I just got lost and bored and went off into my own little world because I couldn't understand what they were talking about. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, and it's, it's the you know, thinking about is this technical term necessary? I mean, does it carry any special meaning that would be lost if I were to replace it? And if not, then replace it. Um, But if it does have some special meaning, then um, it's it's probably fine to include, but maybe you want to consider, do I need to tag on a little extra explanation, um, you know, depending on the, the audience? Yeah, and I think if you are giving a talk and there could be people in the audience for whom your language is not their first language, it can be really helpful to provide any technical terms you're going to use as a written thing on the slide because as much as we'll do another episode at some point talking about slides and, you know, less is always more when it comes to slides, but if you're using a word that might not be completely familiar to someone as a spoken word, then having it as a written word in front of them can really help as well. But we'll come back to that, Michael. Right now we need to move on to a very special segment that we're excited about that we're going to include in lots of our podcast episodes. What's that, Michael? You tell us. It is, drumroll please, the student tips. Hello, everyone. My name is Randy Mann, and I'm currently a Master's of Geography student at the University of Melbourne. However, I'm a little bit longer in the tooth when compared to most uni students. Prior to arriving in Australia over three years ago, I had a 40-year career in television weather broadcasting in the United States. So essentially, providing those on-air weather forecasts was a form of science communication. I picked up many tips over the years, but I would have to say that one of the most memorable ones that I learned to apply in my broadcasts was to include the word you, Y-O-U. 
I discovered that using that particular word often allows your audience to become more involved into what you're trying to say. The heads of the news operations that I worked for would constantly tell me to be more conversational and engaging. So my advice is, try to talk to your listeners instead of speaking directly at your audience. Take them on the journey with you and try not to make your broadcast too scientific as your listeners may not be able to follow as to what you're trying to say. Now, all of this may sound easy, but it will take a little bit of practice. But once you become more comfortable by engaging your audience by using the word you or other techniques, I think you'll find they will become more responsive to your topic. And that's my tip. Thanks for listening. Hi there. My name is George. I'm currently a student at the University of Melbourne. The tip that I will provide in maintaining and grabbing the attention of the audience is to continuously practice this skill. This will enable you to adjust your tone, sentence structure, and information you present specifically to the audience that you are targeting. Personally, this has helped me as I have been recently practicing writing on the blog format, so hopefully, it would help you as well. Thanks for listening. You can reach out to us on Insta and Twitter at Let's Talk SciComm and Let's Talk SciComm Podcast on Facebook. And we would love to hear from you.